Well, gang, good morning. We are in the midst of a series called Silence and Solitude. And in uh, this series, what we're doing is we're taking a look at this ancient biblical practice, uh, really, that Jesus himself modeled for us, uh, because we think we desperately need it as followers of Jesus. Uh, in this age, uh, this digital, uh, fast-paced, increasingly urban culture that we live in, uh, we are a people who are busy, overly busy, plagued by busyness. Uh, we are a people who are anxious. We are tired. We are spiritually, often spiritually apathetic. And so what we're doing is we're asking Jesus um, to help us live life in a different way, his way. And so we're looking at him as a model of what it means to slow down, what it means uh, to be quiet and still with the Lord. And so uh, as we do that, as we continue to, to press into that this morning, uh, what we want to do is we want to look at the life not only of Jesus but also of Elijah. We've been doing that for the last couple of weeks because Elijah, in this season of his life that we just heard read a few moments ago, he's entering into a place of silence and solitude, a, a place where he can be quiet and alone with the Lord. And as we've looked at that, there's several stages that he kind of enters into that through. There's uh, seven stages that we've talked about, and we've talked through uh, the first few of these. We've talked about resting and waiting, feeling, naming, and hearing. And then this morning, we're going to talk about transformation, and then we'll follow up with uh, our last week in the series on reentry next week. And so this morning, I want us to talk about transformation. Transformation. So as we do that, I, I want to encourage you to open your Bible. Uh, or your Bible app to that First Kings passage, First Kings 19, 8 through 18. Uh, so we're going to look at a few verses there this morning as we talk about transformation. But just as we begin uh, to talk about transformation, uh, what we're trying to get at here is really this need for deep, internal, heart-level change. When we talk about transformation, that's what we're, we're after, not just kind of modifying our behaviors, uh, although that's a part of what it means to follow Jesus, of living in obedience and, and acting in accordance with what God's called us to do. But there's a, a deeper, lasting change that we're after, one that's at the core of who we are. And so our, our hope is that God would enable us then, that he would change our hearts so that we might, uh, like we say uh, as a community, that we like become like Jesus. That's our hope. That's our prayer, that we, would, from the inside out, would become more and more like Jesus, and therefore more and more like our true selves, the selves that God has created us and calls us to be. So in 1 Kings 19, we see this kind of transformation. In Elijah, in the silence and solitude, Elijah has become increasingly aware of the deep inner workings of his own heart. His desperate circumstances around him that we've talked about, they've kind of led him uh, to this place where all this stuff is stirring within him. All his, his thoughts and his desires and his feelings, they're all kind of stirred up through these circumstances. And as we said last week, what, what, he's, what he's entering into is a place where God can help him kind of sift through all of that. All the, the good and the bad and the ugly. All the emotions and thoughts that are swirling within. And so it's in the silence and solitude that Elijah gains God's perspective and experienced this kind of reorientation of his heart towards God's truth and towards God's purposes. I think this is one of the reasons that Jesus uh, sought out so much time alone 
with his heavenly father. It was time to work through these deep emotions of his own heart. You know, the Gospels, they actually tell us that Jesus was, was fully human, and that include emotionally. I think sometimes we, we, we kind of sideline this aspect of Jesus' humanity, that he was fully human. He experienced all that we experience, and that includes our feelings and our emotions. For example, uh, Jesus shed tears, Luke 19. He, he was filled with joy, Luke 10. He grieved. He was angry. Sadness came over him, we're told. He felt compassion. He felt sorrow. He, he was in awe, this astonishment and bewilderment. We're told that he felt distress. All these emotional aspects to what it means to be human. Jesus experienced that. And so what we get is this portrait of Jesus as a whole person, right? And, and namely as an emotionally mature person. And I think it's important because for Jesus and for Elijah and for us, Emotions matter. What we feel deep within us actually is really important. It's essential to our humanity, and it's an essential aspect of our relationship with God. Too often in the church, I think we marginalize the importance of emotions. I think especially in, in our tradition, perhaps what we do as followers of Jesus is we, we kind of turn following Jesus into like being brains with legs, <laughs> right? We just think, think, think about our faith a lot, right? It becomes this intellectual kind of ascent, this, this intellectual engagement. And it is, it should engage our minds, but it's not just that. It's not just this cerebral approach to discipleship because if that's all it is, our, our discipleship becomes truncated and it becomes kind of perverse, honestly, and so I think it's really important that we think about this kind of aspect of who we are and how God wants to meet us in that. There's a great book um, by a man named Peter Scazzaro. It's called The Emotionally Healthy Church. And in it, uh, he writes this. He says, many of us who are supposedly spiritually mature remain infants, children, or teenagers emotionally. We demonstrate little ability to process anger, sadness, or hurt. We whine, complain, and distance ourselves. We blame. We use sarcasm. We are highly defensive to criticism and overly sensitive to differences of opinion. We expect others to take care of us, and we treat them as objects to meet our own needs. Despite training in prayer, Bible study, worship, spiritual gifts, and sharing the gospel with others, few of us have been trained how to actually look beneath the surface of the iceberg of our lives. How to break the power of past influences on their present. How to live in brokenness and vulnerability. How to know our limits to embrace loss and grief and to slow down in order to lead with integrity, he says. In short, he says, our emotional immaturity makes it difficult for us really in the fullest of our capacity to love God and to love others. Basically what he's saying is we, we don't, when we don't take the time, right? we don't take the energy, the effort to be with God and let him help us, like I said, sift through kind of what's deep within us and what we're feeling, when we don't allow that to happen, the effect on our lives can be devastating. The effect on the church can be devastating because it leaves us in the state of emotional immaturity. I want to give just an example of that. And I don't hold this up um, uh, really to, to um, 
to single this person or this ministry out. But I think it's, it's an example that, that really highlights something that's true in all of our lives and all our experiences. But this is a man named Bob Pierce. Now, you may not know that man, but many of you are probably familiar with the ministry of World Vision. World Vision is an amazing ministry that does incredible work all around the world. It's one of the largest Christian relief and development ministries in the world today. Over 100 million people are touched by this ministry in 100 countries. By all accounts, Bob Pierce was a passionate man for Jesus and had a deep hunger to see the world uh, in which a world in which there was no hunger and there was no disease, to see the kingdom come, as it were. And so he, he started by helping orphans uh, left from the Korean War. And in his zeal and his passion, that grew and expanded uh, to basically the corner, all corners of the earth. And so it became a world vision. He was described as a man who was restless to win souls, someone who literally laid down his life for the needy in the world. He often prayed, let my heart be broken for the things that break the heart of God. He was an incredibly godly man, passionate about Jesus, passionate about the gospel, had a huge heart for those who desperately needed to know they were loved by their heavenly father. But the reality too is that he was, uh, he was disastrous in his personal life. So it, it came to light uh, during the course of his life and even more so after that, that there were disastrous consequences as a result of his zeal for ministry, namely within his own family. He abandoned his family. He put opportunities for expanding ministry and greater impact over the needs of his own wife and children. On one occasion, one of his daughters pleaded with him not to leave the country. She needed her father, and he said, I have to go. I'm going on this trip to Vietnam. And as, while he was away, she attempted suicide, and two years later, she succeeded in killing herself. Upon his return and discovery of this and discovery of what had happened and then this devastating loss two years ago, things just began to unravel in his personal life. He alienated his entire family. He was known for an increasingly bad temper. He failed to take care of himself physically. His health eroded. And eventually, the board of World Vision asked him to step down and resign. Now again, this is not to pick on one person. It's certainly not to undermine the ministry of World Vision. I just highlight this because this story that I just told, this kind of unseeming, seemingly disconnected reality of, of what someone can do in ministry and yet in personal life, be so, that is way too common. Way too common. And not just in leaders and pastors, but in every one of us. This dynamic where passionate and gifted and anointed, doing amazing ministry, and yet in our personal lives, disastrous, toxic, a total total mess. See, something is going on that's desperately wrong. Desperately wrong in the church today. Somehow we came to believe we can follow Jesus, that we can labor for the kingdom without ever doing the, the hard work that needs to happen within us. That we can just ignore it. That we can press it down and, and press on for Jesus. And that's not true. We've come to believe that any attention to our own emotional health is, is actually unnecessary. And I've even heard it talked about as selfish. You know, it's categorized as kind of navel-gazing. How dare we focus on ourselves when there's so much work to be done for the kingdom? And that's not true. We pit Scripture and the Holy Spirit against emotion. And as a result, we believe that we can be spiritually mature 
while remaining emotionally immature. And again, it wreaks havoc. It wreaks havoc in our relationships with God and with each other. And so when Elijah, when he comes to the Lord on Mount Horeb, when he comes to the place where he encounters the living God, he comes and he lays out all his thoughts and his feelings, his fears, his frustrations, his dreams, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And in that place is where God transforms him deep within, in his heart. And so I, I want to make two observations about Elijah's encounter in that place, that place of transformation that I think can help us experience deep heart change. And the first one is simply this, that deep heart transformation takes time. It takes time. Hopefully that sounds somewhat self-evident, but I think sometimes we don't allow for the space and the time for real deep transformation to happen. So I think it's really important. And I think without silence and solitude, without being alone with God on a regular basis, that deep level of transformation, it just doesn't happen. We press it down and we push on. And so we need this place of transformation. You know, it's interesting to me in, in, um, in the passage about Elijah in verse 13, 1 Kings 19, 13, it says this. It says, Yahweh asked Elijah, uh, a question, and it's the same question. It happens twice. I don't know if you've noticed that. He says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he's already asked him that. Then, you know, he appeared to him, and then he asked him the same question. Why did God do that? Why do you think God did that? Well, you know, God asks questions not because he doesn't know the answer. He asks us questions to invite us into a process you could say, to invite us into a place with him. He asked Elijah the same question again because he wants him to consider the same thing in light of his encounter with God, in light of God's presence with him, in light of what God has just said to him. And what's fascinating, even more than the fact that the question comes again, is that the answer is the same. Did you notice that? Elijah says the same exact thing as he said before his encounter with the living God. He says all that stuff. He says the good, the bad, and the ugly. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. I'm all alone. Right? And they're, they're trying to kill me now. That's what he says. Same thing he said before. What, what's going on here? You know, Elijah comes to God with all these complaints and laments. God speaks, and then Elijah says the same complaints and laments. I think, I think that it speaks to the fact that transformation is a process. Sometimes God can transform us like that. In an instant, he can change something within us. Supernaturally, God can do that, and he does do that. But I think more times than not, it comes through a slow process in his presence, with the help of the Holy Spirit. In my experience, it, it, it hasn't been this flip of a switch dynamic in the deep things in my heart that need to be transformed, the places where I really need to become more like Jesus. But I think what God is doing here is he, he's creating space, right, for Elijah to process this. Because Elijah enters this time, enters this place with the Lord. He's afraid. He's burned out. He's ready to throw in the towel. And God reminds him of who he is. And he reminds Elijah of who he is. 
And then Elijah goes and re-enters the world. We're going to talk about that next week. But that's, that's what happens here. And I think it's important because what hasn't changed are the circumstances in which Elijah finds himself, right? That has not changed. What changes is Elijah. Through this encounter with Jesus, or through this encounter with God, Elijah is transformed because he's learning more truth about who God is, and then God is revealing to him the things that he needs to work on deep within. And so my simple point is this. It, it takes time. And my question to you is, are you giving it the time? Are you creating space in your life through a practice like silence and solitude where God can help you begin to do the deep work of heart change, of heart transformation? It takes time. There's no shortcuts. And then the second observation is this. To be transformed is to hear God's truth over the lies. To be transformed is to hear God's truth over the lies. You know, there are deep questions that all of us long to have answered in our lives. Questions about who God is, questions about who we are, questions about God's purpose for life. What am I here for? What am I supposed to do with my life? Those kinds of questions. And we need to hear what God has to say. We need the truth from God because the reality is there are all kinds of other voices in our lives trying to answer those questions for us. There's all kinds of voices that are speaking into us. Some of them from a very young age. There have been voices speaking into your life and mine about who we are. There's things that your parents said or did not say to you. There are things that have happened in the course of your life that, that have led you to believe certain things about God, to believe certain things about other people, certain things about yourself. There are voices that are speaking to us all the time. And there are voices that are speaking things that are simply not true. There are voices that are saying things about who you are that are not true. The reality is that we have an enemy in this life. We have a spiritual enemy who longs to make us believe things about ourselves that are simply not true. Lies. Lies. And for Elijah, the enemy had been speaking a lie. In verse 14, it says, Elijah said to God, I'm the only one left. It's only me. That's a lie. That's a lie of the enemy to Elijah. You're all alone, Elijah. You're all alone. Your whole life, your whole ministry, all these years of labor for the king, all the things you've done for God, it's been for nothing. You're all alone now, is what the enemy's saying. You're a total disappointment. You're a failure, Elijah. You're all alone. And God, God steps in and God speaks truth. God says, you're not alone. Elijah, you're not alone. There's 7,000 who have not yet knelt to worship Baal. There's these others that I'm going to rise up, call up to, to come alongside you. There's someone else that's coming behind you to continue this work. He says, you're not alone. You can't see it, but I've been at work in all of this from the beginning. I've been at work in it, and you can't see it, but it's true. You're not alone. And some of us here this morning, just like Elijah, we're hearing things that are not 
true. We're hearing and believing the lies of the enemy. And listen, I, I, want, I want you to understand that, that the voice of God does not say things that are condemning. Okay? If you're hearing things that sound like they're condemnation in your life spoken over you, that's not the Lord. If there are things that shame you, that is not the Lord. If there's things that, that are being spoken over you that are harsh, that, that are condescending, that is not the voice of God. Those are other voices. That's the voice of the enemy. Those are lies. They're not true. And so you may be sitting here today and you're hearing voices say things like that, even now about who you are. Because those voices can be really loud, really loud in our lives. And you may be saying, you know what, you, you can say that, that's all well and good, but the reality is you don't know me, you don't know what I've done, you don't know the things that I've been through in my life, you don't know my life. And the truth is, I don't know your life. I don't know you. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you've done. But I do know this. I know the truth. And this is the truth, that God sees you, and God knows you, and God loves you. That is the truth. That is the truth that God is speaking over each of our lives, that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's happened to you, that is true. Romans 8, 38, there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing. In him there is forgiveness, there is deliverance, there is healing for the very depths of our soul. That's the voice of God. And so I don't know what lies you are believing about yourself today. We're about God today. I know for me, one of the lies that I have struggled with most of my life is, is simply this, that God is disappointed in me. That is a lie I have battled most of my life. And most of my life, I wasn't even aware <laughs> that that was the lie, right? God's disappointed in you, David. You know, your dad, he's got a Ph.D. and three masters. Your brother, at least he's got one Ph.D. and one master's. And you, you flunked out of undergrad. <laughs> you know? This is, I'm just disappointed, David. I, you know, I, I thought you'd do more. I've given you so much. I thought you'd be a better preacher by now. I'm just kind of disappointed. Disappointed in the father you become. Disappointed in the brother that you are. Disappointed in the husband that you are. I'm disappointed, David. I'm disappointed in you. That lie spoken over and over and over in my life. And if I let that lie be the loudest voice, if I don't get in that place where I can hear the truth over the lie, you know, we were, we were praying this morning, and, and as we were praying, someone as we were praying just said, you know what, a, a simple word from the Lord, just a word from the Lord can change everything, can change everything. And so we need to hear the truth from the Lord over the lies. One thing that I've found to be really helpful, just on, on a practical note, is that, um, you know, 
the way to battle the lies with the truth is to know God's word. Is to speak God's word to the lies. And so I, I just want to encourage you, maybe if this isn't a habit of yours, like entering into this place of silence and solitude, you know, take, take God's word with you into that place. And maybe if you're not, not in the habit of journaling, get in the habit. Start writing down things. Write down scriptures that are true when they speak to you. So you can go back to them later and you can say, okay, this is what is true of me. And, and what I would encourage you to do is don't just write it down. Read it out loud. When those moments come, when those lies come, read that truth out loud. In part because you need to hear it yourself. You need to hear what is true. But also the enemy needs to hear what is true. What is true about who you are. To remind him of who you are are. You know, we need to be walking around speaking the truth about who we are to each other, to remind each other that we are beloved, that we are precious, that we are bought at a price, that we are, we're not sinners, we are forgiven. <laughs> we're not trapped in the slavery of our sin, we are free. We need to hear the truth we need to be in that place where God can speak, that we slow down enough and we're still and we're quiet long enough to hear the truth. If we want to experience deep, internal, heart-level change, we need this practice. I'm convinced we need this practice of silence and solitude because we need to enter into this process, enter into this uh, space where the Holy Spirit can do this work and speak truth into our lives. I want to invite you, slow down. Be with the Lord. Hear what he's saying to you over all the other voices in your life. Because what he longs for you to live life, life that he's promised in Jesus, life to the full. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we give you, we just, we just want to say thank you Thank you that you're the God who meets us, just like you met Elijah. Lord, and that when we encounter you, you invite us to just be with you. Lord, to just let all the pretense fall to the side and just be, Lord, that the good, the bad, and the ugly, that we would just be with you. Lord, because then we're, we're ready to hear from you. We're ready to hear what is true. So, Lord, I pray over every single person this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, they would hear your voice. They would hear what is true, that you sent your own son to give his very life because they were so precious to you and that there's nothing that can separate them from your love. And, Lord, would you free us to just to lay all before you, to lay all our fears and our concerns, all our wounds, lay all of that before you, that you might do the deep work of healing, that you might free us, deliver us from the lies, from the lies that hold us in captivity. Or would you do that work this morning? So I, I want us just to continue in a time of prayer. This is it's not what we were going to do. We're just gonna we're just gonna continue in a spirit of prayer right this, right now this morning. I, 
I want to invite you just to be open. God is here right now. You don't have to wait for some other time. God is here right now. And he's speaking. I know he's speaking to some of us. He's speaking truth over us even now about who you are.